0: This is Shaping the Future by Regent Street. Brought to you directly from the iconic London Street itself and launched to celebrate its 200th anniversary year. Our modern world and everyday experiences are constantly being formed and informed by cultural influences around us. From traditions of old to the incoming tides of technology and emerging trends in fashion, art, food and well-being... This podcast celebrates how Regent Street is leading the way with these cultural forces and their impact on places now and in the future. I'm Elizabeth Day, journalist, podcaster and cultural magpie, and I'll be interviewing leaders making pioneering contributions to the world around us. Hello and welcome back to Shaping the Future, by Regent Street. I'm your host, Elizabeth Day, and it's my pleasure to be talking today about the future of sustainability in fashion. And it's relevant for Regent Street because Regent Street welcomes many, many brands and businesses that really contribute to the future of sustainability, from traffic-free street days to the brilliant scheme and other stories where you can take any of your old clothes to be recycled, no matter what brand they're from. So without further ado, I would like to to introduce our fantastic three guests. We have Kate Finnegan, who is a fashion journalist for The Observer, Financial Times, The Sunday Times, The Gentlewoman and a contributing editor at EcoAge, the ethical fashion brand bringing sustainability to the red carpet. We have Cindy Rhodes, who is the founder of Worn Again. She is a pioneering polymer recycling technology specialist. Her technology can separate, decontaminate and extract polyester polymers and cellulose from cotton from non-reusable textiles and PET bottles and packaging and turn them back into new textile raw materials as part of a continual cycle. I'm so relieved I got over that. (laughs) And I'm going to ask you exactly what that means in a moment, Cindy. Uh, And finally, we have Oliver Wayman, the co-founder of Bottle Top, the Regent Street fashion brand with a mission to empower people and planet through sustainable design and creative culture making handbags from upcycled bottle tops and funding health education for young people in Africa, amongst many other great endeavours that we'll learn about later. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can't actually see that Oliver is wearing his own bottle top branded belt, which looks fabulous. Someone has to. (laughs) So I would love to start by asking you all the same question, which is that sustainability is a term that is often bandied about. So what does it mean to you specifically? Cindy,
1: let's start with you. Well, I was going to skirt the question slightly because I think we've heard about sustainable fashion for so many years and it can mean you know, a new material made out of, um, you know, bamboo or corn husks or pineapple husks and banana peels. Um, It can mean recycling. It can mean organic cotton. It's got a thousand different definitions. Mm. Um, But what conventionally I don't think sustainable fashion has addressed is just that the waste issue. What happens once you've made a sustainable fiber, once it's been blended with other fibers or into a new tech? And so for me, I've kind of shifted on from the word sustainability to circularity. Mm -hmm. Now, circularity is just as uh, complex in terms of, well, it has lots of different meanings. But ultimately, it takes in everything you need to know about sustainability, as well as addressing the end of life. So circularity is about a circular flow of raw materials, where the raw materials that go into products are recaptured, regenerated, and they go back into new products again and again and again. So it's not downcycling. It's a circular flow of raw materials that replaces the use of virgin resources.
0: That's fascinating. And I definitely want to come back to you to describe exactly what the process is that you've developed. Because circularity, I guess, also means, can mean the supply chain. Uh-huh. as well as it being kind of mm. What a great word. OK, yeah. uh, what about you, Oliver? What does circularity mean to you? Ah, um,
2: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'll bring it back to sustainability just because it is used so much across the spectrum. And I think we're definitely in terms of, I think both um, have, have answered succinctly in terms of the, the idea of, of the materials, yes, but I would also incorporate... The uh, to me, I say, it's, you've got to be kind to the planet and kind to the people. You know, it's also the people making it sustainable communities. You know, and in effect, you know, making sure that the the the. People who are making these specific products are being paid properly, looked after in the right environments, and I think that, to me, links directly into sustainability as well. Not just about the fabric, but it's the production of the of the product as well. So, but absolutely on a on a circularity level, that's the holy grail. I mean, that's it's, mm-hmm. it's wonderful to be here and to be discussing it because that, I mean, I, I, I cannot wait. You know, we've 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 caused so much planet devastation through the practices of the, of the industry, which we kind of walked into a bit blindly over the last 20, 30 years. And now finally, we're taking note. And And thankfully, there's you know incredible innovation happening in this sector, which will hopefully help to get us out of this mess in
0: time. Yeah. And, and Kate, you've been a fashion journalist for many years. Mm. When do you think that ethical fashion and sustainable fashion started becoming a thing?
3: Well, it's a good question because it started a, a long time ago and actually I first came into fashion through ethical fashion because I, I started writing about it for The Independent about 15 years ago. But I have to say that the interest waned. It really waned and that was a, a long time ago. I've kind of kept my eye on it, but I think I think one of the problems was, was that ethical fashion existed but it didn't know how to be fashion and at the same time as that had become quite trendy almost or or it had reached a certain amount of awareness ethical and sustainable fashion was battling against fast fashion so ethical fashion and sustainable fashion hasn't really had a chance but I think Mm -hmm. now we've got to a point where people have noticed what has happened to the environment they've taken notice of what is happening to the people who are making their clothes and an awareness has come through and and there's and, and you've seen that in the last year I would say become a kind of mass concern in a way that it, it hasn't been for the last
0: 15 years. Mm-hmm. Cindy you had a point to make on that.
1: Yeah I think one of the the issues with the whole ethical fashion world or sustainability it often gets associated with cost a higher cost. And as we know, and we're confronted with these choices in a shop, all of us say we'll pay more, but so few people actually do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the things that that really killed it for the industry, because they, the, the big brands just couldn't make that work. Mm-hmm. You know, high-end luxury, they've got a little bit more room for that in terms of consumer awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, Fashion and and what our clothes are made from are now the new frontier where before it was food, we've gone through trends and waves. So it's really great that people are thinking about what, what goes on their bodies, where it comes from, who made it, what yeah. it was made from, and that sort of thing. At the very beginning of our development, one of the key goals was that, well, firstly, The outputs from our process have to produce a virgin-equivalent raw material. Secondly, the process itself has to be more environmentally friendly than virgin production. And thirdly, most importantly, this process has to produce outputs that compete in price to virgin materials. Mm. Mm. If we can do that, this thing will scale so quickly and we will find in the next 10 years that all of our new clothes can be made out of our existing clothes so that's amazing so but I'm really interested in the
0: process that you've developed Cindy so y- you are making equivalent material from the offcuts, as it were of the previous material <laughs> I did single science GCSE so I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> no no, no.
1: Apologies. well once our clothing is no longer wearable less than one percent is going back into new clothing the majority of it, it might get downcycled, it might get reused as, as clothing until it can't be worn anymore, but the majority of clothing is still going to landfill. Right, so and that's what happens when you put clothing in a, recy- a clothing recycling bank? Yeah, when you put, yeah, half of what gets collected, half will get, go for reuse. It can be reworn, it's good enough quality, but the other half is you know, it might have holes or stains and just isn't rewearable anymore. So at the moment, it's just a really inefficient model of the way we use resources. So we wanted to take clothing and be able to break it down to the original molecules, the raw materials, the building blocks of textiles. And what we did was we looked at you know, in that global pool of textiles, what's it? What's out there? What's in it? And um, we did some trials to understand kind of what the fiber content was. I mean, you can look at production, what, what do we make clothes out of? But we actually went to a, a textile collector. We looked at a ton of end-of-use textiles, and we found that um, 80% of it was made up of polyester and or cotton, So it was either pure cotton, pure polyester, but a high proportion of them are made out of blends. And so we realized if we wanted a solution for recycling, we needed to be able to deal with both polyester and cotton.
3: Oh, my goodness. That sounds so Mm -hmm. tough.
1: (laughs) It's not – it's not – it's relatively simple. I mean, I'm not the scientist. We have a very um, clever chief scientific officer – who we found in Cambridge, who is the brains behind the science, and it we use a, a, a something called dissolution chemistry, where you use a solvent to selectively identify what you want to break down. You dissolve that particular thing you're after and then you separate out everything else. Mm. In some ways, it's it's quite simple. What takes the, the time and the development is all around the chemical engineering and scaling the chemistry up so that you can build 100,000 ton per year operating plants and make it affordable. Yeah.
0: Can I ask what that looks like?
3: What does... What does the fibre, does it look like a fibre? Is it a pulp? Is it?
1: Yeah, I should have brought my, my little samples. Imagine a big pile of textiles. You chop them up, you get rid of all the zips, the buttons, throw it into a big pot and we separate the dyes, we take out all of the finishes, all of the kind of nasty stuff that mm. may have gone in at the beginning get separated out and on the polyester side we end up with a, a polyester pellet. Um, which is what's used today where you you can melt it back down, spin it again into fibre, then it goes into textiles. On the cotton side, it's a little different because cotton isn't a man-made polymer like polyester. Mm. um, And you can't actually turn cotton back into cotton because it it degrades over time.
0: Oliver, in in many ways, what you do is similar from a different angle because you're also about reformulating something that we know and love. So absolutely. Maybe absolutely. Bottle tops. Indeed.
2: tops. Tell, tell us how <laughs> well, you got into that. Yeah, well, we built the brand just on um, on using waste product effectively and realising that you can make amazing textiles out of disused. Um, in this case, originally, we had a bag made from bottle tops in Africa on a wireframe and, and um, where we probably have um, synergy with, with Cindy is in the, we, we're really into this whole, the innovation of, of materials and fabrics as well. So we've actually built the first 3D printed store in the world using waste plastic, in which we collected the equivalent of 60,000 plastic bottles. And this was waste plastic collected from Dar es Salaam and New Delhi and these sort of income generation projects, and then kind of melted this plastic down. So it produces like a string, effectively, it's called a filament. Uh, we then put that on the top of this hacked car robot that you would see in normal, you know, building cars, but instead of building cars, it was actually printing industrial scale interiors. And then we built the whole store out of this waste plastic so i think it's it's amazing you know it's great to see that we're able to do stuff like this it's bloody hard Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and i think i lost uh, a few years of my life in in, in putting it together but the results speak for themselves and it's and i think it's educational as much as um, working on aesthetic level which is which is great we generated lots of great press and interest but it's also uh, i think it's been really powerful to help people to see what's possible
0: Mm. and how did you get into it because it wasn't a conventional career path
2: no it never is, is it? <laughs> not when you end I, up in bottle Tops. No, <laughs> no, not, not in bottle Tops. My journey was quite fortuitous. So I was working for Island Records, a big uh, record label, scouting for, for bands and so on. And I met my, my business partner, Cameron, and we started working on a um, Brazilian record. He had been working on this foundation, effectively, from his experience of working in Africa. And then whilst I was working on this Brazilian record, my mum actually showed me this, this bag made from recycled wrinkles, a very simple version. When I went out to Brazil to, to start finding... a Effectively, we were selling it as merchandise for this for this Brazilian record that we were launching. I met a guy called Luciano dos Santos, who is still today our project manager, amazing, inspirational character, who came out of the um, the favelas uh, of, um, of Salvador and um, has this rare combination of, of like a heart of gold but real business sense, as he used to be selling snacks to tourists on the, on the beach of Salvador from the age of 12. And so together, we set up this training program teaching people how to make these products um, using women who have been largely... Uh, i mean at best they were um, badly treated housemaids and at worst prostitutes provided them with a skill set training empowered them um, helped them to feel valued and with a lot of work and and training and um, and patience but um yeah we, we were able to to then formulate a, a serious collection in which we've done collaborations with the likes of Narcissa rodriguez and donna karen and now we're really you know pushing it on our own and, and really launching our own sort of retail push as well which is interesting Obviously, we've got our own store on Regent Street, which has um, been been an amazing experience as well.
0: That's incredible. How old are you?
2: Uh, too old. 35, but I feel that's, about 70. Wait, that's so young
0: <laughs> to have done that, to have you know, made oh. a massive impact on the world. So that's very impressive. <laughs> we're, try, we're
2: trying. Not quite massive yet. I'm oh, just one. a podcaster. So.
0: <laughs> Kate, how much can we try to be better? And what should I be doing to be better?
3: I think a lot of sustainable fashion is actually about changing your mindset i think from the consumer point of view and i'm a big advocate of slow fashion which is slightly different to what we've been doing and i you know i have to teach myself that and it's it's about not shopping as much or thinking about what you're going to buy and thinking about the 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 life of that And that is really difficult. I'm a fashion journalist and, um, you know, I'm going to a party on Friday night and my instinct is, I need something new. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But I have to, you know, I'm having these conversations with myself. I'm not telling everybody, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to preach at people. I don't think that is the way to change anything, thinking, do I actually need this? What am I going to do with it? Where is it going to end up? How long am I going to wear it for? I don't think that sounds as boring as maybe it, it 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 could be interpreted as boring but i don't think it's boring i think it actually makes you feel better so in a in a selfish way you can have more peace of mind through thinking like this it's actually quite nice that i don't have to go and buy a new outfit on friday night because i've i've been i'm able to justify that in in my mind i think it's about adjusting how you approach fashion and style. That's we can awesome. give all our clothes to Cindy now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so, I
1: also, I, I... I think, you know, it, it it's very personal, fashion whether you're fast fashion slow fashion somewhere in between everyone has to have a different association with clothing or they do and i think that will be trends happen and changes happen and and that will carry on um but i think we still have regardless of whether we slow down or not we still have this huge challenge of you know 50, 60 million tons of -of end-of-use textiles going to landfill every year. So we do need solutions that can can recapture them. And so we asked ourselves the question, whose problem are we solving? And we looked to the industry and we thought, well, it's the big brands. Mm. They do need a solution Mm. and they want a solution, whether Mm. they know it or not. Mm. And at the time, some of the most forward-thinking brands, one was H&M. Mm -hmm. and the other was Puma. Puma used to be owned by Caring, which -hmm. has since been sold, but Caring we met as well. And both companies came on board, H&M as an investor, because they really saw – This type of technology as they want to be a part of it. They didn't know where it was going to go or what it was about, but they're taking a responsibility Mm -hmm. and more and more brands are doing that now. They recognize their role and they know they need solutions. So I think, you know, it's it's about putting pressure on brands as well so that they feel the need to change. It's about individual change and doing the right thing for you. But we've got to be going at it from all angles because we don't have time. We need really big industrial solutions to happen quickly. And we need mind shifts and cultural change and and all sorts of things.
3: I don't think people are going to stop shopping and I don't really think they should. You know, it's part of our culture. But I do think... It would be great if big businesses helped the consumer a little bit more, a lot more, and, and really took responsibility for the problems that they have. You know caused and and and
2: we have all caused. It's good that you've both actually touched on the fact because it's not often spoken about in these things that there was a full storm in in, in um, environmental sustainable fashion. You know where we all thought, oh, this is going to follow mm. organic food. You know we're just waiting, waiting, and instead it didn't. Can, I, can think, I just ask quickly? Sure. Do you think that
0: was to do with the financial crisis and people watching their pennies? Is that what it was that oh, I, stalled I, it?
3: I don't or?
2: know. I don't know. It could. It, I'm sure it would have played a part it for sure. Yeah, part. yeah, yeah. It, it would have. It would have been. You know, at a similar time. I think that perhaps. Perhaps there was too much activism in the sustainable fashion offering and not enough really looking at it from a from a style directional perspective, you know, as a quality fashion item. Certainly now it's it's not a fad. It's, it's a trend and it's going to be the standard. I think in fashion generally, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who didn't agree long-term that that was going to be the case, just purely because we don't have the time or, you know, I mean, potentially in these next 10 years, if we, if we look at what the UN's doing on the Sustainable Development Goals, you know, it's a critical period for us to be making systemic changes within this industry or we're not going to have the same planet that, we, that we're used to knowing.
0: And Cindy, taking your technology to its logical extreme, will there still be a need for farmers to farm cotton?
1: Very good question. (laughs) It's a complex one. I think so. We're never going to give up cotton. It's a a wonderful material. But I think with things like um, the, the population growing by 2 billion um, by 2050, going from 7 to 9 billion. uh, We're going to need a lot more food on the planet to Mm. feed people rather than to grow cotton. Cotton takes up vast amounts of of land, of water, of pesticides. You know, if we can find a better way of using our resources or a more efficient way, then that's going to be the natural progression. I don't think we'll ever get rid of it. And I think it will be about shifting from cotton to other industries. It's not like we're going to be putting people out of work and that's it. It'll shift. It'll become an agriculture of of another type in the future. Mm
0: Can I ask you? Because I asked Oliver this: How did you get into doing what you're doing? Because you said that <laughs> that you're not a scientist.
1: So, what was your path? That's another really long story. <laughs> um, bottle tops, worn again, same kind of thing. Um, I well, I started out um, in my early 20s. I was a filmmaker in music videos, commercials, documentaries, and in in my early to mid 20s, I my my personal interest started to shift. Um, I won't say how long ago that was, but it was a while. And there were things happening in the world that, you know, you start questioning what's happening, what's behind, you know, what what makes the world tick. And um, so I got really interested and self-educated around global economics. And that naturally led me down the road of things like how Clothing is made, how food is made. In 2012, a colleague I was working with at the time, Nick Ryan, he and I were introduced to a very intelligent scientist called Dr. Adam Walker in Cambridge. And he's really the brains behind the technology and the science. But it really started from the idea of wanting to set up a business that could change the world. Like I I could have gone down a charity road. But I, I I, thought that business is such a powerful platform for actually implementing change. And that really excited me because I thought there could be more influence going down that path.
0: It's so inspiring. It really is. And, and Oliver, I know that you do lots of great initiatives in Africa and other places. Will you tell us about some of them?
2: So our latest campaign is called Together Band, which is effectively helping to bring to the public a framework which has been put in place by the UN in 2015 called the Sustainable Development Goals. There are 17 of these. They're all kind of sectioned into different um, key areas that we need to do to, to, to improve on to, to basically sustain the planet. Governments know about them. Corporations know about them. The mass public doesn't. And so this is our opportunity to start to um, bring this message to the mass public and so we've colour coded these bands which are made from ocean plastic and for each band which is collected a kilogram of ocean plastic is um, salvaged from the sea and the clasps are made of recycled firearms, illegal firearms in this case in El Salvador so they've been kind of melted down and then recast into these clasps as a kind of symbol of peace you get two in a pack and then you wear one and then you share one with someone else to tell them about specific goals. So the ones I've got on here are orange which is sustainable cities and communities and clean energy for yellow which is something which the um, the Crown Estate are very good at actually and we're looking to do something with them next year around um, not a lot of people know this actually but the Crown Estate who, who obviously look after Regent Street and St James's, have owned the whole perimeter lease least to the whole of the United Kingdom I think except Scotland so England, Wales and, and Northern Ireland because of that you've you've effectively got one of the biggest offshore wind farms in the world so you know at any stage i think last quarter it was 20% which was solar and and wind taking up making up the whole energy mix for the uk and that's that's growing pretty quickly
0: and is that part of the reason why you're attracted to regent street for your store
2: 100% yeah um we've done we've dealt with a lot of um real estate owners across the world actually and without a doubt um we had the we and have and continue to have the most um fluid fruitful relationship with with the crown estate because you know once you get deeper you realize that it's there are you, People want the same thing, right? You want to be able to to give a serious offering in in this case, in sustainable fashion, and for our Together Band campaign about making conscientious change amongst consumers. And it was it was a great partnership for us to be able to really um, exemplify how it can be done. And you know, I think I like the fact that we're trying to push boundaries consistently, whether it be through the three D printed store or through I think the pop up that we've got at the moment. Together Band has used um, two tons over two tons of um, recycled plastic, so that's repurposed plastic which we've used made into a uh, Um, The installation in the store so yeah it's a it's it's a great match and they've been they've been excellent to deal with.
0: And on that note what initiatives do you see around Regent Street that you feel particularly kind of embodies the the ethos that we've been talking about Cindy do you have anything that you particularly like?
1: So one of the exciting things that's starting to get momentum is the in-store collection program you know today stores like Arquette, H&M, And other stories. And other stories. Yeah, well,
3: they're all part
1: of the H&M group, aren't they? They're all all starting to do in-store collection, which is really, really important. And it may not seem to be as much today because people kind of wonder what happens to my end-of-use textiles, where do they go. But in the future, it's going to be integral because our process will depend on all of those textiles coming back in. You know, consumers in the future will become... The, the the raw ma- material supplier to the industry so we really need to get that mindset and behavior change happening
3: you don't have to just take h&m clothes to h&m you can bring any any textiles or you know all those 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 pairs of socks that are at the bottom of your drawer (laughs) this is what you do with them bring them to recycling and then cindy will be able to use them
1: yes (laughs) well
0: one of the things that i love is is hunter the brand that's Mm. famous for its excellent wellingtons amongst other things they've got this thing where they use recycled rubber from their boots to do all sorts of stuff like making kickboxing bags and horse arenas (laughs) it's this idea of changing your mindset
3: yeah and also i think repairing is is Mm. Starting to come back, uh, I think Hunter have been offering a repairing service in the in the summertime for, you know, to give your wellies a kind of bit of a boost again, which is really good. And, yeah, that that the mindset of kind of fixing something rather than throwing it away is going to be really essential going forward.
2: Totally agree. In fact, I've got, got nudie jeans on which are repaired in the shop, uh, which is great. great. It, really, it, it works. I was mention, you know? it's, it's so yeah. simple, but it's so effective. You know? And they're cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: In a way, it's all because of your mother giving yeah. you that handbag in Brazil.
2: For sure, yeah, yeah. I would. I would. I would um, she's responsible for a lot, and I'm sure she'll be happy about that. She's also probably got the biggest up collection in the world now, so she's <laughs> continuously growing. But yeah,
0: well done, Mrs. Wayman. Indeed, um, Kate. Which fashion brands are doing a good job, do you think, of being sustainable and being ethical and looking at their supply chains?
3: I wrote this week for Vogue Online about a new label called Sone. S-S-O-N-E, which is um, working with communities and it's kind of creating a community of kindness. So they're working with, um, as well as using sustainable fabrics and organic cotton, they're working with a community of uh, Bangladeshi women in East London who are um, doing embroidery and, and sewing for them and they're expanding a kind of outreach program in that way. There's Mother of Pearl, which is another London label. There's a lot of innovation and a lot of designers who are, you know, really concerned. They they love fashion. They want to work in fashion. They like making clothes, but they want to do it the right way. And they want to do it for their own peace of mind and to be able to offer a solution to customers.
1: And I think just to, to add to that, you know, we, we've we talked a bit about how sustainability or ethical fashion sort of hit a peak and then mm. dropped but actually if you look at the big trends you know the amount of recycled polyester used from plastic bottles mm-hmm. the better cotton initiative mm-hmm. many of the big brands are you know using the power of their supply chains and teaming up and creating industry coalitions that actually do make a difference when they band together. That's when collaboration between brands actually, you know, actually works. And there is a big shift and we have changed the way materials are being produced, but a lot more can be done Mm. and we need to deal with the problem of waste. Mm -hmm. And if we bring all of those together, we're heading in the right direction.
3: One thing I was going to say was that I think one of the reasons why there was such a kind of pause in some ways is Mm. because it, has been so difficult. Yeah. It's kind of not surprising that people look the other way because, in the background, these design lots of designers and you know big companies to give them some credit have been at work. You know, waiting for technology to move forward, trying to find new systems in which to do business, and it's it's taken a while. And they needed the consumer on side as well to know that they were going to be able to to make a profit or to fund these things. So I think development has taken... A While
0: it's in- yeah. interesting you say that because I remember about 10 years ago being sent by the Observer, who I was then working for, to do a piece in Mali about cotton farmers in Mali. Mm-hmm. And I was really affected by that mm. piece and how difficult their work was. That I made a promise to myself that I was only going to buy fair trade cotton, mm. Mm. and it was impossible when yeah. Yeah. I came back Probably to yeah. London. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Where did you do that? I mean, yeah. you'd, you'd have to go to Oxfam, who weren't really offering a big fair trade clothing range, were they? Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) it's like you know it's been really
1: hard exactly and that's the problem brands need they need volumes they Mm. need capacity they need Mm -hmm. consistency they need quality getting all of those things Mm. is really tough Mm. which is
2: yeah yeah. it's it's, it's not impossible actually I mean it's a lot easier it's a lot easier now but it's still it's still really difficult and I think this is the thing isn't it we need to keep in our mindset I'm very much of this mentality it's like let's just try to do it as sustainable as possible. It's never going to be perfect. Mm. There's always going to be things which aren't quite right. There's material things which aren't, aren't perhaps recyclable or, you know, we're using certain components that, that aren't going to be able to be reused. Or It's like, it's never going to be perfect, but I think we, we probably need to switch this mentality of saying, oh, yeah, but they say they're good, but they, in fact they're doing something bad, to actually look, like, oh, mm. look, they're making a step towards this, which, mm. which is fantastic. Mm. There's still room for improvement, but of course, if we can all start to almost... I would say champion the the right moves. Yeah. Then I think we're going to make far greater progress. And I think that works on an individual level as well. It's like you know, if we can maybe all just—I don't—I don't think no one's going to be everyone's you know going to not turn to veganism overnight. That's unrealistic, probably ever, right? But if everyone or eighty percent of people gave up red meat once a week, then that will be far more powerful than that one percent who have turned vegan. And mm-hmm. I think that's the mentality we need to keep with business as well. It's like okay, start to make those step changes.
0: We have to not let the best be the enemy of the better is one of my favourite sayings. I wanted to end by asking you all... If you could have one thing that in an ideal world would happen in this particular area in the next 10 years, what would your one thing be? What would the future of sustainability and ethical branding and fashion, what would it look like in an ideal world for you? I'm going to come to Cindy first.
1: (laughs) Well, it's only because you mentioned 10 years and we have a 10-year goal where we want to have 40 plants operating at at least 50,000 tonnes per year in each plant by 2030. So if I can have anything in the world is 40 plants, which is, you know, not much. No,
0: (laughs) that's a very modest and lovely ambition. Thank you. (laughs) What about you, Oliver?
2: So it's the 50th year of the moon landings this year, right? And so they made these predictions, or John F. Kennedy famously made this speech in '62, around, oh, you know, we're going to bring men to the moon, and before the end of the decade. And everyone was pretty much saying, this guy's crazy. When you look at the technology at the time, it was archaic. There was nothing, you know, that I think most people would have given this, their chances as, as very slim at best. He did it in '69, right? And so that, for me, shows how, I mean, NASA had to, I think, employ 420,000 people with one goal, putting humans on the moon now if we can keep the same mentality of like getting togetherness and bringing people towards almost making them aware of these issues then why can't we bring you know a billion people together with the same mentality of just being aware of what the cost is the 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 true cost of the product looking a bit deeper into the supply chains and ideally starting to work towards consuming things which are which have a, a more Sustainable. If we go back to or, or circular outlook, than the uh, the current offering. If we can do that within ten years, then then I think we'll find a very different landscape in terms of the fashion offering.
0: Thank you. And
3: and what about you, Kate? I would like to be able to go into a store and feel fine about buying something, whether that is because they've got a great recycling program or because they've adopted policies that have put sustainability at the forefront then I I just I for me I'd like peace of mind in terms of purchasing for me and for, for everybody else.
0: Wonderful. What a great note to end on. Thank you all so much for coming in. And thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shaping the Future by Regent Street. And stay tuned because we'll be back in a couple of weeks talking about the future of art and design. Thank you so much for tuning into Shaping the Future by Regent Street. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do take a minute to rate, review and subscribe. It really does help other people to find the show. Follow more Regent Street happenings at Regent w one on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Otherwise, head over to RegentStreetOnline.com for more detailed information. This has been Shaping the Future by Regent Street, with me, your host, Elizabeth Day.